So I know what you were thinking this week. I just, I just know it. You were thinking, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and I really, really hope that the preacher talks about money. Like, that would make my day. Anybody going to claim that as them? Somebody had that thought this week, right? No? Oh. Whoops. So you'll notice on the front of your bulletin, it says we're going to talk about money. I remember when I was a kid, and, and on Sundays where the preacher would talk about money, to my little ears, it was like, he wants my money. All of it. And my parents would encourage me to, to put a dollar or some coins in, in the offering plate, <clears throat> but that ran counter <laughs> to what I was trying to accomplish as a kid when I could save up enough for some baseball cards or something. It's like, well, but see, I had plans for this dollar bill or these quarters, and my parents would say, oh, we need to give some back to God. We need to give some back to the church. I didn't get it. And it's possible you've been present for a message where a preacher basically said, you know, the church needs your money. That's not really what we're talking about today. Because today I want to talk more about what we value than specifically about money. And I think to discover, I think what we'll discover is that to view things of value the way that God does, or even begin to, to begin to value the things that God values, will require a change in our thinking. It requires some major upstairs thinking, as we've been talking about in this series. And this is the final message of this series, and I've really enjoyed it. The idea of upstairs thinking is that in order to follow a lot of the commands and callings of Jesus, it will require a change in our thinking from the downstairs thinking of this world to the upstairs thinking of heaven, to what's right in front of us, to maybe some things we can't yet see. Several weeks ago, I called it a God's eye view. That if we can see things from a different perspective, from God's perspective, it will change the way we interact and see the world that we live in. And it will allow us to more fully respond to the commands and callings of Jesus. We started by talking about loving other people, even when it made no sense. We talked about sin, and then we talked about the cost of following Jesus. And last week, Gavin shared with us about worry, and I hope you took that to heart this week. That when you began to worry, you leaned into God. And today we finish with a look at a pretty well-known passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store, up tre- store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And to be honest, there's a huge temptation in the world we live in to care an awful lot about money. And in that temptation is the real and present danger of becoming, in fact, enslaved to money. And I think one of the reasons it's such a danger is because money is so important to us. It's so integral to our lives. Because you need money to have a place to live. And you need money to eat. You need money for clothing and shoes. You need money for transportation. You need money for medical care, for medications. And those are just some of the needs we have. We also use number for a specific number, uh, money for a specific number of wants. 
If you need any more evidence of money's important place in our world and society, consider this week when I tried to, to look up a list of, of maybe some well-known songs that were written about money or that are about money, the results were so overwhelming I couldn't even choose. My guess is no matter how far away you live, that if you hopped in your car after church today and you started radio surfing like I love to do, it would not take you very long. You'd probably find a song about money before you made it home. If nothing else, I know that someone will help me out here if I simply say, money, 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 money. Thank you. I appreciate when people actually sing it back even though I didn't sing it. That's both, both services now. Somebody has sung it back. Money is the currency of life because it's literally our currency. There's a danger in that because it can way too easily end up controlling us. And it can way too easily become an idol in our lives. And it can way too easily become a part of our identity, or even the basis for it, the foundation for our identity. We are our net worth sometimes. And that's problematic. Paul speaks to this in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now that's profound in itself. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now sometimes that's a mis quoted verse and people say yep see money's the root of all evil it's the love of money uh, that is the root of all evil the problem is it can be pretty easy to fall in love with money when you have it boy it's nice to have it and when you don't what do you feel like you need it some of us have or, or certainly have known others who have put money in first place in our lives as the number one most important thing and from an earthly perspective, that may seem like a good path. That may seem like a good way to go, but from God's perspective, it's simply not. Now, don't get me wrong. It'll get you far in this world. But what you have to decide is how much that matters. And so to keep money from overtaking our thought process, from becoming the most important thing, to keep it in its place, it requires a change in our thinking. It requires us to view money with upstairs thinking because downstairs thinking says things like, I can't live without money. I need more money. I earn this money. It's my money. Upstairs thinking says, everything I have, money included, everything I have is a gift from God. There, there is nothing that I have that I got on my own. Everything I have Money included is a gift from God. And when our thinking about money starts with the source, God our Father, that begins the change in our thinking that we need to have. But that in itself can be a challenge because we say, well, I worked hard for the money I have. I, I gave time and energy and effort. I sweat for that money. God doesn't sign my paycheck, right? But at the same time, who is it? that blessed you with the skills and talents you have? Who blessed you with opportunities and open doors? Who gave you the drive to study 
and to learn and to work hard. You see, I think if we understand that even our ability to earn money is a blessing, is a gift from God, it's easier to see money itself as a gift from God. And when we see money as a gift from God, I think it's easier to see other things we've been blessed with as gifts from God. Things like our time and our energy, our talents, our resources, everything we have can be seen as a gift from God because that's exactly what it is. Any other line of thinking borders on arrogance. Any other line of thinking that would even begin to suggest that what we have is because we deserve it or because we earned it. No, it is a blessing from God. I love the way Paul put it in his letter to the Corinthians. He was kind of coming down on them a little bit hard here, and they probably deserved it. Here's what he said beginning in verse 7. Paul writes, For what gives you the right to make such judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? He's saying, listen, everything you have is from God. Why why would you even suggest otherwise? Step back and take a look at your life. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And whether you have a lot or a little, can you step back and see that everything you've been blessed with is a gift from God? The people in your life, they're a gift from God. The opportunities in your life, those are gifts from God. Your time your energy, your health, yes, even money. Those are all gifts from God. And when we see it all as a gift from God, I think that changes how we view really all of those things. I think it has to. When we understand that God gave us the time we have, the family we have, the job we have, the purpose we have, the energy we have, the money we have. I think that makes us a lot more likely to consider what a privilege it is than to take those gifts and decide how they are utilized. It's a big responsibility, but we need to see it as a privilege that God has blessed us with so much and we get to decide what to do with those blessings. That should also become then easier to understand just how important it is to give some of those blessings back to God, to serving Him. You see, it's kind of like this. How many of you have noticed there's a box of donuts on the stage? Who's already noticed that? Okay, more on this side because it's over here. I'm just, that was not, that's not really part of this, but I noticed that people were like staring at it for a service. So. Um, this is a box of donuts. It really is a box of, of donuts. It is sealed. Anthony picked them up for me. Credit where credit's due. Anthony picked them up. He does claim he can get past the seal, so I'm not sure if there are really still a dozen here, but I'm going to trust him. These are donuts, 12, 12 donuts, dozen donuts for you. Um, who likes donuts? Who likes donuts? Aaron, you want some donuts, man? Okay. Don't, I'm not playing favorites here. I just noticed somebody. So. These are for you. You can have them. You keep them. No strings attached. You don't have to return them. The person in first service tried to give them back after the service. I said, no, no, I really meant those are for you. So you can do whatever you want with them. You can share them. You can keep them for later. They're yours. No strings attached. It's a gift. You don't owe me anything, okay? Cool. Now, here's the deal. That's not, that's not a dozen glazed either, okay? We're, we're a dozen assorted, so, okay? Just want to make that clear. There is a difference. There is a difference. And so, that makes me a pretty good guy, right? Like, I just gave him those donuts. He's trying to decide what to do with them, right? You can eat them right now. I don't care. You have a lot of new best friends in the room. 
Pass me that. You can do whatever you want with them. But before you do what you want with them, here's my question. Can I have one? And, and anybody in this room, I would like to think, would say yes to that question, right? I gave them a dozen donuts, no strings attached, don't owe me anything. But if I ask for one, you would say yes, right? That's common sense. How, how mean would you be? If you were like, but, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand. We all do say no to that question sometimes. It's just not about donuts and it's not no to me. God gives us everything we have. And he asks us to return some of that to him. And I'm afraid that sometimes we say no and we say, well, you see, I kind of like these things that I have. If you want to go back to the donuts, it would be like Aaron saying, well, hold on a second. Let me make sure you don't take the one that I actually wanted the most. Or he would say, well, you know, my son really likes donuts. I better save a couple for him. You know, my wife's not here this morning. She's working. She'd really like a donut after work. I feel like I should save one for her. And maybe I could even get one to stretch to breakfast. I've kind of got plans for all 12 now. Right? It sounds ridiculous in the context of donuts, but we do that with the blessings that God has given us. We say, God, I appreciate everything you've given me, but I've kind of got plans for it. And so if it's money, we say, well, I've got these, these bills and, and we're, we're planning on going on vacation. There's, there's really not any left. And if it's our time, we say, well, I, I work really hard and I've got to mow the grass and spend a little bit of time with the family and God, I just, I just ran out of time. If it's energy, it's like, well, God, you know what I do all day. So if, if you think there's any energy, any energy left of the day, you're crazy. And we begin to justify it and we say, I appreciate it, God, but I think I'll just hang on to it. I think I'll just keep what I've got. And, and we don't even necessarily do it intentionally, but it, but it tends to happen that way. Where we don't open our arms and give back to God. Instead, we say, oh, this is actually kind of nice. They are blessings. That's going to happen. But we hold them tightly. We hold them tightly. And so what I want us to do is understand that we're not supposed to hold on to them. That when someone challenges us to give back to God, we're supposed to take that challenge seriously. When, when we're reading scripture and it's clear that we're supposed to give back to God, we're supposed to give back to God. Not go, well, maybe some other time I could, you know, give you some donuts back, you know. Maybe I'll have a surplus of my time or my money at a later date and I can, I can give back to God then. That's not how this works. And so what I want to do is take a look at, at one of those passages that tends to come up when we talk about giving back to God and point out a few specific things we need to understand about giving from what God has given us. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he addresses a collection that he asks those folks there in Corinth to take up for a group of Christians in Jerusalem. He says, we want you to, to take up this money to support what they are doing. And so he begins by reminding them of their commitment to give and suggests that it's time to collect and to give because they've committed to do so. And so he challenges them to follow through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, he writes, I really don't need to write to you about the ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. And so he kind of 
comes down almost a little bit hard on them, I would say, and, and basically says, you made a promise that you were going to do this. You even inspired other people with your generosity. Now it's time to actually follow through on that generosity. But then he says something very, very interesting. In verse 5. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gifts you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. And see, that's the first thing I think we need to understand about giving back to God, is that it should be a response to Him and all He's done for us, not a response to an obligation. God never said, give because I said so. And any suggestion that we give back to God in Scripture is in response to His great love. And so it's about our attitude and our thought process behind it. Not because He said so, but because He's blessed us so much. And the truth is, if we begin to understand how much He's blessed us, this should be natural. It's not for all of us, but it should be. It should be. Verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And that kind of leads me to the second thing we need to understand about giving, which is that it should be a joy. It should bring us joy. It should put a smile on your face when you get to give back of the vast blessings that God has given you in His name or to Him. It should be a joy. And yet I'm not sure it always is for us. You know what's painful? You know what's really painful? Puts that, that pain look on your face? Writing out a check for car repairs you didn't know you were going to need. Right? Like that's extremely, but you're going along and you're like, I'm good to go. And you feel that thump and you're like, ah, that's not a good thing. And you try to ignore it, right? Some of you try to ignore it. Some of you ignore it way too long. Let's be real. Some of you have to tell other people when they ride in your car, don't worry about that noise. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. <laughs> what check engine light? I don't see it. Writing the check for car repairs you weren't expecting, it's, you got to do it, right? But it's painful. Like, how many zeros are we talking about here? And it's painful, and, and it's not something we want to do. The truth is, some of us, when it comes to God asking us to give back of our resources, of our time, of our money, we have that same look on our face. We feel that same pain. It's not joy in that situation for us. It's pain, and that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Giving back to God, even just a portion of the amazing blessings He's given us, should always be a joy. Should always bring us joy. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Which leads me to the third thing we need to understand about giving. God can and will work through your giving. You see, sometimes we give of our time and we don't see immediate results. Sometimes we, we give of our money and we don't see immediate positive results in the kingdom. And we say, I don't know if what I'm doing is actually making a difference. But we can be confident that anything we offer back to God, any gift that He is working in and through that gift, that He is blessing the gift, the giver, and the recipient, 
And that even if you don't ever see the impact that your willingness to give back to God has on the kingdom, there will still be an impact. And that's really what matters. Even more than you realizing it, it matters that the impact happened. In verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. And that leads us to the fourth thing, which ultimately, giving brings glory to God. It may bring us joy, but it's not about us. And God can work through it, but again, it's not about us. Ultimately, our willingness to give back from what God has blessed us with brings Him glory, makes His name known, points others to Him. And if it's possible that your willingness to give back to God could be part of what leads someone to have a relationship with Him, it is all worth it. When we give God our time, our resources, our money, and those things in any amount, it may serve needs, it may solve problems, but just as importantly, it points people to God. Now there's a problem in all of this. So often we get bogged down and caught up arguing about how much we are to give back to God. How much time? How much money? How much of our energy does God truly deserve? In a lot of ways, when we get into those arguments, I'm afraid that that's our attempt at justifying giving the bare minimum or only what we're comfortable giving back. Giving only what we can spare when the time comes. Only what we can spare for the day or the week. And I would suggest that we've probably all had that little internal struggle with ourselves where we say, have I done enough? And we want to feel good about giving a minimum, but, but it really does take justification in our minds to feel good about that because I think somewhere inside of us, we know that God deserves and desires more from us. But to know that and to act on that are two very different things because we're really good at convincing ourselves that we're doing enough, we're giving enough, or that someday I'll be able to do more or give more, and years go by, and we've been giving God the bare minimum for an awful long time. And when I think about that, I think about this story in Luke. It's a very short story, but it means so much. In Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And I read that story and I've read it a bunch of times. And I tell you today, I much more often in my life look like those rich people than I look like the widow. And over the years, I can tell you that for certain, I have convinced myself time and time again that it's okay. Because I've done my part. I've done enough. I've, I've given back and that's really all that matters. Maybe you've been there. Or maybe you've had that thought where you say, in a few years when my job changes, I'll be able to give more time to God. 
Or maybe when I retire, man, I'm going to have all this free time. I'll give it to God. Or you say, maybe when we pay off that car payment, we'll be able to give a little bit more to what God is doing in the world. And we just want to say, for now I'm doing what I can, but that's all I've got. I think we know that there is no magic level of giving back to God that is satisfactory or that is required or that is enough. But sometimes... I think we wish there was. I think we wish there was a magic number of hours we were supposed to give God a week. I think we wish there was a magic percentage of our money that we're supposed to give back to God. I, I think we wish that. Because downstairs thinking tends to function in real and at least mostly exact numbers, right? You know how much money comes out of your paycheck for taxes, right? You know how much it takes then to keep yourself right with the government. And is anybody going, let me give the government a little extra this week. I think they need it. Anybody get their refund check and say, "Ah, I don't really need this. I'll just give it back to the government. You know exactly how much you need to pay to keep yourself right with the government. Some of you live in a a place with an HOA. Uh, I've, I've been there. It's not my favorite thing in the world. But you know exactly how much you have to pay to stay right with the HOA, right? You know exactly how long your grass has to be to stay right with the HOA. And I don't know any of you that are giving extra payments to the HOA or mowing the delinquent people's grass, although I did have somebody in first service say, I, I go mow other people's grass. I just told them that's the love of Jesus. It's not, not anything else, but that was good. But you know exactly how much you have to pay to remain right with your HOA. Some of you have community service requirements at school or even at your job, and you know exactly how many hours you have to give in order to stay right and fulfill that requirement. See, we like to know what enough is so that we can pat ourselves on the back when we're done. Downstairs thinking says there is such a thing as enough when it comes to giving back. Upstairs thinking says we could never begin to repay God for all he has given us. Yet, we should try to. The upstairs thinking doesn't, doesn't even begin to think about the idea of enough because we could never get there. And yet we should try to because we'll get pretty far down the road in that trying. And you see, that's, that's where I need to be. That's where we need to be. At the point where we realize it's not about giving enough. It's not about giving a certain amount of anything God has blessed us back with back to Him. It's about giving back to Him period. Anything of this life that we value and store up is temporary. As wonderful as it is, it's temporary. But when we give back to God of our time, of our money, of our resources, we are truly building up treasure that's not temporary. I go back to that initial passage we read, a part of it we didn't focus on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I think a lot of times it's the desire for the treasures of this earth that keep us from understanding just how much more important those treasures in heaven truly are. And we end up because we're so focused on the here and the now, we end up forsaking eternal gain for short-term wealth or short-term happiness 
or short-term comfort or short-term success. Everything that God has given us can and should be used for His glory. It should be our daily prayer. God, show me how I can use what you've blessed me with for your glory. Show me how I can take the blessings you've given to me and turn them around and use them for your glory. God, you've given me life today. How can I use that life for you? That needs to be our prayer. And so if I have money, can I use it for God today? If I have time, can I use that for God today? If I have other resources, can I use those for God today? If I have energy, can I use it for God today? If I have talents and skills, can I use them for God today? The answer to all of those questions is God gave me all of those things. So how could I not use them for his glory? How could I not? I love what A.W. Tozer said about money and treasure. He said, as base a thing as money is, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Somehow we don't, sometimes we just don't understand how important it is that we give back from all that God has blessed us with. And when we hold tightly to all that God has given us, when we get all of those gifts, and you know what, this is pretty good. God's given me a lot of good things. When we hold tight to those things, in effect, we are turning our back on the one who gave us all of those things in the first place. But when we open our arms, when we give freely from the blessings that God has given us, we have the potential to, in his name, change lives. And maybe even introduce people to their Savior. The truth is, if we hold tight to all that stuff, we're probably never going to get those opportunities. Certainly not as often. But if we can be people who understand God's blessings, who accept God's blessings, and send them right back out, we could change lives. We could meet needs in the name of Jesus, reach people with God's love, and change not just their life, but their eternity. But the problem is, and it's been the problem with every, every message in this series, we live here, and we see what's in front of us. And so that takes, tends to take precedent. And if we can't get past that, if we can only see what's in front of us, we are going to struggle with each of these things we've talked about. If we can only see what's in front of us, we'll struggle to love people. We will struggle to love people. We will struggle with sin. We won't understand what it truly costs to follow Jesus and probably won't ever give it up. We will struggle with worry every single day every single day. And we'll be real confused about how we're supposed to value the things that God has given us. But, if we can see it from God's perspective, if we can change our thinking, 
Man, if we could get all five of these things right, imagine the difference. Imagine the difference if we were people who loved and who were willing to give up whatever it took to follow Jesus and who dealt with our sin swiftly and who trusted God every time we wanted to worry and who gave as much as we possibly could back to God of what he's blessed us with. We could change the world. That's the thinking that God has called us to have. And so this very week, you're going to have opportunities to decide how you look at situations in your life. Downstairs thinking or upstairs? Choose upstairs thinking. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the way that it challenges us. God, I pray that we would not shy away from the commands and callings you've given us through your word. God, help us to approach them from your perspective. Help us to see beyond this temporary life And God, along the way, if we can share your love and your son with people who don't yet know him, God, give us the boldness to do so. I thank you for challenging us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.